Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I've had a lot of requests for episodes featuring, quote, regular people, so I figured why not interview, well, me and my friend Randy Bauer. So Randy and I did a trip to Alaska's Prince William Sound in the summer of 2021, and he and I have done climbing trips and biking trips and paddling trips and others through the past 25 years, and this is just the latest installment in our continued adventures. I recorded many of the segments of this trip in various spots on Prince William Sound, and I'm not necessarily in order when recording. And there's some background noise of myself, uh, you know, clothing rubbing against the tent wall or wind from sitting on the beach, but that's okay. That's what you get with a remote recording. To help you get the most from today's episode, I'm going to encourage you to go to the show notes at www.paddlingtheblue.com and look for this specific episode. And I'm going to put several links out there so you can follow along. You can open the chart files and feel free to look at the pictures in the linked Facebook album and uh, just follow along and enjoy. So with that, I appreciate you listening today and enjoy Prince William Sound. We chose Alaska's Prince William Sound for this expedition because we wanted something that was going to be both remote and accessible. And we're just ordinary people um, doing a trip. We don't have the time or the resources to be able to do uh, enormous expeditions uh, you know, in some crazy place around the world and be able to get boats to those crazy places. And so we need to be able to do something that an ordinary uh, couple of folks can do. And so that's uh, where we are. So Prince William Sound is about 45 minutes by car outside of Anchorage. And so it's easily accessible. And then once we got out here, um, we knew that we would be able to get to places that would feel both remote and be remote, um, as well as still accessible by boat and, and other resources if necessary. We are completely off the grid. There's no self-service or anything out here, at least in the spots that we've been in. And even right now, we're not that far out of Whittier and uh, no cell service. So that's a good thing, by the way. I don't want to be connected. I want to be feeling remote for this one. Well, they say getting there is half the fun, and for me, there's definitely truth in that. I enjoy the planning parts of trips. I, I really have fun with that part of the process. So for us, for this one, we took an overnight flight from Chicago, leaving here on a Friday night, leaving around 10 o'clock, and uh, arriving in Anchorage around 5 o'clock, and then we worked with Ryan Collins from Paddler's Realm. He's the gentleman who rented the boats for us, and uh, he actually uh, was passing through Anchorage, so agreed to pick us up in the morning at the airport, not at 5 a.m., but a little while later. Picked us up at the airport, and uh, we made a stop at a Fred Meyer store along the way, which is kind of like an all-in-one grocery store, um, uh, like a Walmart sort of thing, I guess, and uh, purchased the things that we could not fly with, and then made our way from there down to Whittier. And Whittier is about 45 minutes to an hour south of, of Anchorage, uh, right along the, the Cook Inlet. And once we got there, we actually had to take a, a vehicle tunnel, a one one car width tunnel from the main road into uh, into Whittier. And up until about 15 years ago, the only way to get to Whittier was by train. So you'd basically go to this, uh, go to a parking lot, leave your car there, take the train through, and then you can make your way uh, into Whittier. I suppose you could fly in as well or take a boat, but the only way in from Anchorage basically was uh, was by train. So it's definitely been made much easier now. So we made our way into Whittier. We got to Whittier probably 11 o'clock and then got our boats, got all that gear together, figured out all the stuff that we were going to bring and what we were going to leave back behind in Whittier and then uh, loaded our boats and we were on the water by 2 o'clock that same day and uh, got a good 
12, 13 miles in on that first day. So it was definitely a long day, um, having actually gone to work on Friday um, and then gathered up all of our gear, made our way to the airport. And I don't sleep very well on plane, so slept very little, if at all, overnight and then uh, made our way into Whittier and, and paddled. So long day, but definitely a lot of fun. So that was day one. We chose the Western Prince William Sound area um, as our area of choice. And there were lots of different areas to think about. We had considered things like uh, Valdez to Whittier, and we considered the Port Wells area, which is the north end of, actually, I guess it's the northwest corner of the Prince William Sound. And then a couple of other options as well. But uh, we settled on the Western Prince William Sound between Whittier and kind of... Um, Night Island, I guess, if you will. So if you're looking at a chart, you know, draw a line between that whole general area, and that's kind of where we spent the majority of time. We really would have liked to have gotten up to the Port Wells area. There's a ton of glaciers up there, but we chose not to go up to that area because of over the last several years, uh, there's been a, a warning of a tsunami risk uh, up there, and which would, quite frankly, be devastating to the entire Prince William Sound. But that particular area was particularly... Uh, risky so we chose not to go to that particular area and maybe someday in the future we'll get a chance to go up there the route we chose for this trip was one that was going to challenge us for distance for site finding and, and other factors yet still be accessible and in all we covered 170 miles over 10 days nine of which were on the water our longest day was 32 miles and the shortest was four miles and that four mile day was day nine and on that day, we found an amazing campsite very early on, and we were within an easy day's distance from our end point in Whittier. So we decided we were just going to stop and enjoy that beautiful day on our last full day of the trip. This next clip comes to you courtesy of day four of the trip, and it's Randy and I giving you a recap of the first few days of the experience. So as a reminder, go to the show notes page at www.paddlingtheblue.com, where you can follow along with the route. So here we are on day four of our Alaska trip to Prince William Sound. Uh, with me is Randy Bauer. Hello, John. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing awesome. <laughs> How could we not be in this environment, right? Exactly. This is amazing out here. Yeah, so we're in day four. So where are we? We are out in Alaska. I couldn't tell you the location <laughs> right now, so you're going to have to help me out with that. All right. <laughs> so we're in Port Nelly Wan. Port Nelly Wan. Yes. We're in a little... Uh, a little Shady, shady area called Shady Cove. Shady Cove, beautiful area. And we are looking down the stretch of Kings Bay. And uh, down Kings Bay, we can see Taylor Glacier and just the, the beginning of Claremont Glacier down at the end uh, from us. Yes, and we are out here by ourselves. It is very peaceful. There's no one else. And it's just hearing a fire roaring right now and the water uh, coming off the mountain is just uh, very, very peaceful. I love it out here. Yeah. So this is day four. So let's talk about, let's kind of take us back to the beginning here. So we started in Whittier. Yeah. And uh, we flew into Anchorage. Anchorage. Had an overnight flight into Anchorage. And uh, Ryan Collins from Paddler's Realm was gracious enough to pick us up and find boats for us. So he rented us boats and gave us some information. We did a lot of research ahead of time. So let's talk a little bit about the research um, ahead of time. Yeah, um, I, I tried to do as much as I could, just trying to understand the area and places that we would paddle, um, things that we might see, um, things that we might come across. And, uh, you know, just being able to go out and Google uh, different things, uh, you know, lots of features on Google to be able to understand uh, with photos and 
in maps and things, and that really was helpful, uh, just understanding what really was out here, um, including picking up a couple of webcams uh, and being able to, to see the water um, and the conditions during the day um, leading up to the trip just made me feel more comfortable uh, being able to be out here. So, so it really is pretty accessible wilderness. Um, it's easy access from Anchorage, about 45 minutes or so in from Anchorage to get to Whittier, and then you can make your way out. We've seen a few fishing boats, and we've seen very few paddlers um, throughout the whole time. Yeah, kind but, of, yeah, kind of surprised that we haven't seen more paddlers. You know, we've seen a few, um, and I guess that's kind of made the trip really nice. Like, um, I would say at one point I was a little worried that we'd see too many paddlers, but it's been it's been great. In terms of being accessible, there's lots of information that's available out on the web. You mentioned webcams, and um, there's a few books that are out there, but there's you know, just tons of information out on um, on the web. And one of the resources that I came across, actually, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes, is a link to a website that has helicopter video of every piece of shoreline in Prince William Sound. And if you know exactly where they're where they're videoing, you can kind of get an idea of what that shoreline looks like. You can kind of get an idea of your camping locations. And you mentioned Google Maps and Google Earth, and there's a ton of research you can get from there. You can't necessarily see at water level, and that's where that helicopter video kind of came in helpful. But then a lot of it for us has just been trial and error and looking at different spots on the beach and as we're paddling by and trying to figure out what looks good, what doesn't look good, what looks like there's going to be dry land above the high tide line. And uh, what has a nice level beach for us to be able to stop on. Yeah, like you said, uh, Whittier and just being able to be there um, and coming through the tunnel and just being able to start seeing, you know, the uh, the bay there and um, just being able to just start getting our gear ready and getting packed up and, you know, just the anticipation of going out. um, Drove us over to a very, very simple little put-in and, you know, a great little start. I don't know, was it was it kind of high? It was high tide. It was like right in there just a little bit, right? Yeah, it was pretty close to high tide. So we left at 2 tide. o'clock. Yeah. Um, high t- I shouldn't say pretty close to high tide. It was still a couple hours away. We left at 2 o'clock. High tide was probably around 4.30 okay. at that time. And, yeah, so we headed out at 2 o'clock from Whittier and on day one. And we made our way past Shotgun Cove, out Passage Canal. And then we continued past Shotgun Cove to an area called Decision Point, and we stopped at Decision Point for a minute, and we found that there was a Decision Point State Marine Park, and that had some pretty cool features to it. There were uh, wooden platforms that connected, um, actually, they, there were wooden platform tent sites and then boardwalks that connected those to keep you out of the forest floor, and there was a privy and a bear box at that, so it was a pretty sweet setup. I was, I, I was surprised how nice that was and the ability to be able to um, those platforms and be able to put your tents out there um, I was surprised that the there was a group there um, of just uh, about four or five people and they had only taken a couple of the spots but they left the one really sweet spot I thought that overlooked the bay there I was like wow um, but that that was a surprise and that was just a great start to, to see such um, nice camping right there. Yeah, so it was only about 5.30 when we stopped there, so we'd only been in the water for about three and a half hours, maybe less. So we decided to keep going and we made the crossing of about a mile and a half, maybe two miles to, I forget the name of the point, uh, but basically around that, actually I think it was Blackstone Point. Went to Blackstone Point and then from there we made it around to Surprise Cove and that was another state marine park. 
there was nobody at Surprise Cove when we got there. And that also had platform tent sites, and there were three of those, and boardwalks and a privy and a bear locker you know, to store your gear there. Yeah, and again, just, I mean, one another beautiful area um, just to be able to hang out and be comfortable in the first couple of good days. Uh, well, actually, that was the first good day of being out there and just being that comfort level um, and just having a nice spot to, to put your tent and, uh, you know, prep some food and eat and, and uh, just relax at that point. So day two, we headed out in the morning, and that was, I guess what is probably considered typical weather here. So it was raining and it was foggy and we were completely fogged in. We had a, about a four mile crossing to make. And so we, we figured it out with a little bit of trial and error, but we figured out, you know, which direction we were going in or we're supposed to go in. And just looking at it visually, we thought we were in one direction, but we needed to actually take a look at our chart and take a look at our compass and figure out where to go and trust that. And we did and took us about that three and a half to four miles across uh, Cochrane Bay, and we made it to the top end of Colross Passage. Yeah, and I just um, I remember us, you know, being out, start getting going in the morning and paddling, and then being like, "Wait a minute, you know, it's cloudy, we can't see." And like you said, we decided that we had prior to going out, we had set a bearing, we kind of knew what we needed to do and where we needed to hit, and um, you know, we we turned our boats in that uh that direction and paddled away and maybe within an hour well, it was an hour maybe then all of a sudden we started seeing the uh the islands you know lands on the other side that wasn't and uh again that was just a great feeling and then and then you know we went off course directly on purpose and went you know put the bearing to make sure we were going to hit land and once we saw the land we we just turned our boats to to the tip of the uh the land there and paddled around it so that yeah. was that was nice so we employed two techniques there uh one was we know what our average speed is average speed with loaded boats was about three and a half miles an hour yep. and so we said if we don't see land in an hour then we know that we're going in the wrong direction because um, it was a four mile crossing so we employed that first technique, and then the second technique that we employed was to aim off. So instead of aiming right for the point that we were going, which was on the very north end of, of Colross Island, we aimed off, so we aimed south of that, and that meant we were going to hit the mainland. It meant we were, going to, we were going to have to travel up a little bit more, so we'd have to hit that point and then basically take a left to get to the top. But it was a safer route than accidentally missing the, uh, the land and continuing on for gosh knows how many miles it would yep. from there. Yeah, exactly. So Colross Passage is pretty narrow, and we were, weren't really sure what to expect in terms of the tide because the tide was actually going against us at that time. And the tidal variation on the first day that we were here was a, a spring tide. So we had about a 14-foot tidal variation, and it's been going down since then. But we weren't sure what to expect in, in terms of water volume. And so far, it hasn't been bad. We've been able to paddle against the current and really didn't didn't cause a problem for us. Even in Colross Passage, which got pretty narrow at a couple of points, the current wasn't a problem. It was not bad. No, against it that. was not, yeah. It was very, very, very dual. Mm-hmm. So going down Colross Passage, we found a couple of nice spots, pulled off, had lunch at uh, one of those spots. Yeah, and I, I was going to say that part of uh, the paddling, it's interesting at this point that I had noticed that the biggest waves that we were actually hitting were the ones that were coming from the, you know, the few boats that we'd see. Um, wasn't, again, not very many, you know, fishermen boats going through, but 
when they'd go through, they'd, they'd create a little bit of a wake for us, and that were the kind of some of the biggest waves. So. Yeah, the conditions have been pretty chill so far. Yeah. Uh, we're looking out right now at just barely ripples on the water, and we've had a couple of days where it's just been glass flat uh, as we've been paddling along. Now, certainly, this body of water can get much rougher than that, uh, but we've been blessed with that. Blessed we've got full sun today, but we've had a couple of days where it was full fog and, and rain as well. So we're expecting nice weather again tomorrow, and then who knows what will happen after that. We'll catch a weather forecast later or in the morning and see how that's, how that's looking from there. So on the end of day two, we camped at the south end of Colross Passage, and we saw a, uh, a guide and a group from Alaska Sea Kayakers. We talked to them for a minute, and the guide gave us some information. Yeah, she kind of told us where a great camping spot was um, that was just around, uh, it's an Applegate Island, right? And so we, she told us to paddle around that and look for a point that was kind of sticking out. So we, we did that, and we, we, well, we thought we found what it was and got out of the boats and hiked around and thought that, man, that can't, that can't be it. Kind of difficult to, to get in there. It's not something we want to carry our, our gear up to. It was a, a great view. I mean, it was beautiful up there. Uh, but then we figured this couldn't be it. Let's go. Let's go exploring a little bit further and, and see one. So we did uh, paddle down just a little bit further, and there it was. And it was just a, a great campsite that uh, you know, um, very open, and uh, the breeze coming across, long as to dry out our gear a little bit, and just have a, a, a good night, uh, good night sleep up in the. Actually, be able to put our tents up into the woods a little bit. So, so from there we were able to look out to Perry Passage that went between. Ross Island, Perry Island, and kind of see that open expanse, and we can see the mountains to the north, and I think here, northeast, um, that we're heading off toward Valdez, and then we could also look down at uh, the mainland and an area called Lighthouse Reserve, and there's a big fishing area there, and then we were able to look straight down uh, Passage, and I can't remember the name of that right now off the top of my head. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, importantly, one. Yeah, maybe it would be right. Yeah. We were able to look right down that, and yeah, that was the first point that we really, I mean, got to see. It was clearing up enough, right, that we really could see a further distance and be able to see some of the mountain peaks and and just the vast amount of water and uh, just how beautiful it was. And just being able to sit there and just check that out. Was yeah, perfect. those first two days were were clouded over, so clouded over, rainy. Yep. We wouldn't have even known that there were mountains around us, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. Until Didn't know what it looked like. Yeah, until the night of that second day, when it started to clear and we could see the mountains uh, where we are right now, actually. And we could see all the, the snow-capped peaks. and We could see uh, Nelly Wan Glacier that we visited yesterday. So, day three we get up. What do you know? It's raining again. So we get up and start out in a little, in a little bit of rain. It wasn't too bad, uh, mm -hmm. but we made our first crossing of the day and that went across Colross Passage and we followed the mainland down and that was about 10 miles and I should have mentioned we did 12 miles or 13 miles on our first day. I think we had like 13. Yeah. 13 on the first day we did 20, 4, 20 3. actually 20 on the second day Okay. and then uh, day 3 we ended up doing 24. Altogether. Okay it was day 3, 24. So a long day for day 3 but so day 3 we followed the, the mainland down we just kept that on our right and then we got down to the end. We made a right turn. We uh, made our way into Deep Water Bay. And then we found a campsite in Deep Water Bay. And 
I was kind of hitting the wall there when we when we got there. I was a little low on fuel and overheating, so I had to pull some clothes off and pull off to the side and get some fuel in me and felt better after that. But we found a couple of fishermen or a group of fishermen in a real small boat. And yeah, and they were. It was that was nice. They were out shrimping and uh, really friendly guys. And, Kind of like ask them, you know, where's a good spot in this little cove to, to be able to area to go out and pat, uh, uh, camp for the night. And uh, they pointed us to a little spot that was uh, right around the corner. So we went down there and, and uh, we found it and had had a landing, a good good landing, but it had a tent spot just big enough to put our tent and be able to to just again yeah, build a camp and be able to see some absolutely beautiful mountains and, and really uh, be able to take it in that was that was cool just to sit there and do that yeah, a real small bay about a mile across yeah. about a mile in diameter and it was ringed by snow-capped peaks yeah and uh, nobody else there except those guys who were fishing and they were all the way on the other side we never really even knew that they were there um, the campsite was nice it was a crushed crushed gravel beach and but and you, like you said all the way at the top there was a tent pad that had been kind of laid out but it was on a pretty decent angle, and so we ended up <laughs> yeah. sleeping on that angle. And uh, nylon sleeping bags, um, sleeping pads, just kept skidding down, and we ended up kind of in a crumpled heap at the bottom of the tent. Uh, but we made it through, despite the bugs. There were a lot of a lot of mosquitoes, a lot of little midges flying around everywhere. And but that's that's what you get when you're here that's the experience and that was part of it and i think that was good i mean we got through it and we enjoyed it I, overall i enjoyed that i, I wouldn't uh, take that away it's oh. good a good experience um you know you missed you didn't talk about jurassic island tell me more jurassic island so when we're paddling and we see this like this formation of this tree that looks like a lizard <laughs> and i'm like that was cool it looked like a lizard and then we all of a sudden see a a pterodactyl or, or what was it? A, a pterodactyl, yeah. A pterodactyl, and there was a couple other, just a couple other trees. Maybe we're getting tired, I don't know. But the the, the, the trees look like dinosaurs. And Those two look like Dino from the... From yes, the yes, Dino, yes. They, a couple of Dinos. I'm trying to think what they're called. <laughs> Staphylopsosaurus or something like oh, that. Really? But, um, but also, just paddling along that, I, I just remember the the, uh, the wood, the forest, the, the, the vegetation just seeming very jurassic like too and that's kind of where i when i saw that and i saw i'm like wow that just that was just kind of cool and it was a, a highlight for me to, to, to do to be able to pick that out and we've been um having fun with that sometimes you you see something you go like oh that looks like uh you know some kind of shape that enjoyable so after we set up camp yesterday in good harbor good harbor bay i keep wanting to call it that deep water bay um good harbor bay is in michigan so that's nowhere near here we set it up in deep harbor Deep, deep water harbor, bay. Deep water go. bay. Uh, we made our way across, so we kind of backtracked a little bit, went to Derrickson Bay. And everything we'd heard about Derrickson Bay, everybody was telling us that was kind of the place that people were camping and there were going to be a lot of groups there and we kind of had to watch out. And if we wanted a, um, an experience of solitude, then that was not the place for it. But the reason we were going down, down to Derrickson Bay was there's a little spit that you kind of cross through. And you can really only get through there as the tide is rising and, and, um, and flooding. So we got there a couple hours before high tide and it was flooding in. So we were able to ride the tide in uh, past that sand spit and make our way up to Nelly Wan Glacier, uh, 
which is about a half mile back from that sand spit. I remember before you before us getting in there, starting we're getting closer and closer, and we're looking around and not really seeing anybody, and but then we're thinking, okay, well when we get in there, we want to. There were some beautiful waterfalls and just some the the area was just so pretty, and we were like, you know what, we'd love to go. We knew where some hiking trails was, so sounds like you know what when we get in there we're going to find someone's experience we're going to find a guide in there we're going to ask him hey you know this is beautiful where can we hike around here um pal around and get into the glacier and it's just us we had the whole thing to ourselves that just blew my mind and as, as you know as we were paddling down we were like trying to figure out if there was somebody down there maybe a boat and we're looking and nothing and get closer or nothing and eventually figured out we were the only ones in there um, besides a couple of uh, sea otters, um, we had it to ourselves, and such a, just a paddle among the little break-off iceberg pieces, um, the ice floating in there, bumping against the boat, uh, trying to, you know, dodge around some of the bigger ice chips, that was, that was fun, and, and w- the waterfalls that were coming in, you know, rushing in, that sound, um, it was just beautiful, and that glacier was, was cool, um, just again, again, you know, we probably we didn't want to get too close to it, so we stayed back. But it was still massive, and I couldn't imagine if we got up any closer, how much bigger and bigger it would just continue to have gotten in size. Yeah, we stayed at least a half mile, yeah. if not further away. Yeah. Um, we don't want to get caught by anything that's calving off. Um, we don't want to don't want to be dealing with any of that stuff. Right. Right. So, so we stayed there for a little while. Saw the otters. They played around. And then uh, made our way back out and headed back to camp at Deepwater Bay. Yeah, made it out. Nice paddle back out. It was smooth. We did go over and uh, uh, check out a little waterfall that we actually could paddle up kind of into it and near 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 to it anyways. That that was cool. Um, again, being that it was high tide, we could get in there. Normally, otherwise, in low tide, you would not have been able to do that. So it was good. Well, we had to carry over. We could have made it, but we would Well, we had to carry. We had to walk. It would have been a pretty long carry. Yeah, exactly. So we got up this morning, day four, made our way out of Deepwater Bay, and uh, we didn't want to eat breakfast there. We wanted to get the heck out of there because of all the, fl- uh, all the mosquitoes and figured we'd eat, eat breakfast somewhere else. So we made our way around to Greystone Bay to see if we could find anything there. And we found a good spot for breakfast, but nothing to camp in Greystone Bay. And so we continued on after having breakfast and made our way down into Kings Bay and started to head down to Kings Bay, and we were thinking of going and seeing if we could walk up to, to Taylor Glacier and uh, maybe go down to Claremont Glacier, but the wind was at our backs, and it was it was gusting pretty well. Um, not enough to really create any waves, but it was gusting pretty well, and we figured that we would have a pretty strong headwind coming back 10 miles. Um, n- neither of us were really interested in paddling 10 miles into a headwind, so we decided to turn around and made about, I don't know, I guess it's about a three-mile uh, crossing back to Shady Cove, which is where we are right now, and pulled up to this spot and said, boy, this is the place to be. Um, we've got an open beach that's, I don't know, a couple, maybe 100 yards yeah, long. Yeah, at least 100 yards long. And yep. we're the only people here at the beach. Yep. Um, and we've got a nice campsite, nice tent site that's set up up here, and we're right next to a, a fresh water source. I'm not sure if you can hear it on the microphone, but it's rushing uh, behind us here, just about 20 feet behind the camp, and it's a 
It's a beautiful sound, very peaceful, very relaxing. Very comfortable temperature-wise. Just This is just a great spot to uh, throw up the hammock and you know take a nap in there for a little bit today. It's been a great day. You know, even though we did end up doing 10 miles today, um, you know, we're up early, paddled, we're here, um, and then just really had most of the day just to sit and hang out and relax and read, um, read books, uh, you know, build a fire, um, just let our, let our clothes dry out. Um, and it's just one of those days that the sun has just been out all day and it's cleared up all the clouds. So it's been, the view is just amazing. Having lunch and, and dinner here, uh, it's been beautiful. So temperatures today were mid to high 60s, I'm thinking, but we had blazing sun all day long. And so it was it was pretty warm um, from the sun. I think the actual air temperature was probably in the 60s. It's getting down to mid 40s mm -hmm. uh, at night. And most of the other days it's been 50s during the day. So that's kind of normal up here. It's around this time of year, we're here in June and July of 2021. And so you can kind of expect mid-40s for nights and uh, mid-60s for the days. You um, can expect rain most of the time, or at least just about every day you'll expect some rain. But like I said, we've been blessed yesterday afternoon and today and hopefully into tomorrow. And we'll see how much more we have of this. So that's a recap so far with day four. Anything to add? Nope. I think that's pretty good. All right. We'll pick up again with day five. So that takes us up through day four of the trip. A couple of things so far. This was our first real experience with Alaskan mosquitoes. Um, we'd, you know, I had them buzzing around us uh, for a little while up until then, but that one night in Deepwater Bay was pretty intense with mosquitoes. We've also talked a few times about the vegetation. And if you remember, Prince William Sound is a temperate rainforest. So it was very, very lush uh, as you walked through the forest. And it was really a, a neat experience to see all that. Up to this point, we've really only seen two other groups of paddlers and a few fishing boats in the distance, and we were just blown away that we didn't see a single paddler in Derrickson Bay. We had the entire area to ourselves, with the exception of a very, a few very curious seals. Uh, you've heard us talking about otters. We actually thought they were otters at first, but then we realized later that they were in fact seals. So as I mentioned, we were on the trip in late June, early July, so we had 19 hours of full daylight, and it was only dusk-like at night, never got dark at all. Of the things that were top of mind to me for this trip, one of the biggest was route planning. We wanted to make sure that we picked a route that was going to be both attainable and challenging and give us the opportunity to see a good variety of things. We knew we wanted to see some glaciers, we wanted to have an open water experience. Uh, we would love to have seen wildlife as well, of which we did. Uh, we did not see any whales. We're on day nine, so maybe we'll see some uh, tomorrow. We'll see. Haven't seen any bears, but saw lots of seals. And so that was kind of cool. But we wanted to have an, really have an experience, and one that, like I said, was different than the experiences that we've had before. Um, we've paddled around Isle, or paddled Isle Royal, Royal before, and and then a number of other things, but this was just something that we really wanted to feel um, that was more remote. And that's kind of what we've been got, getting from this, was the really remote feel uh, from this trip. So how do we plan it? NOAA chart 16705 is Western Prince William Sound, so we used that chart and took a look at um, a lot of different locations on the chart and kind of you know, made our initial plan on how we'd like to do this. 
and then had an opportunity to do uh, research elsewhere on the internet and I'll put some links in the show notes to some of the other resources that we used um, one of those was actually pretty cool it was actually a, a helicopter view of the entire coast of Prince William Sound and you know, you're moving pretty quick in the helicopter and you couldn't really tell which beaches were campable but at least you can get an idea of what you're going to experience so that was kind of a neat resource like I said I'll put that in the show notes um, the other really important one was that we had the opportunity to talk to uh, locals and get their perspective so as we kind of planned out the trip we then went and connected with Ryan Collins from Paddler's Realm in Whittier he's a uh, gentleman who rent us, rented us our boats and talked to him about the route that we were interested in and then he gave us some advice and made a couple of edits to it and uh, it worked out really well so he gave us some suggestions on different camping sites and then we also had the opportunity while we were here to get additional recommendations on camping sites as we uh, met a couple of guides and, and a few things but interesting that we've seen surprisingly few paddlers up until yesterday, day eight, we had seen a total of 10 paddlers. And that's not 10 different boats, but just 10 paddlers in total. We did see two groups yesterday. Um, one of them, strangely enough, was uh, Ryan Collins. And he had a group out at Blackstone uh, Glacier. But uh, other than that, very, very few paddlers out here. We have seen a lot of fishing boats. Uh, that's a big industry out here. So a lot of individual fishermen, um, individual commercial fishermen that are out here. And then there's also some bigger operations that we've seen out in the sound as well. So we didn't get a chance to record on day five. So for this next clip here, we're going to skip ahead to the morning of day seven. We really had some fun adventures and some unique experience over those, over those previous few days. And we were going through some pretty heavy fishing areas, so that really added to the experience. We had a 32-mile day on the previous day, so day six, and we ended up all the way back at the place that we stayed at on night one. So we're on a rain day this time with winds sustained in around 20, uh, 20 knots. So we're recording this one from our tent. So we're into day six, seven. Yeah, seven now. Yep, day seven. So last day we recorded was day four. We were sitting on the beach in Shady Cove. And morning of day five, we got up and left Shady Cove. And Pretty early in the morning, right? Yeah. We got up and hit the, yeah, the six, water pretty early that morning. We knew we had a big day and what we wanted to do. Actually, no, that was the morning we did the pancakes. That was oh, the late was morning. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we made can pancakes. We and, made pancakes out there. And, and bacon on the beach. Yeah, and they actually looked like pancakes by the time we got the system down. Yeah, the first couple didn't look like pancakes at all. Yeah. <laughs> but we got it figured out. Figured out the system. Yeah. And uh, so we left there about 8 and made our way up uh, Port Nelly Juan. We did do a, uh, We did do another surf off the beach there. Oh, yeah. Down into the water. And there's another seal launch. Another seal launch, yeah. Seal launch, yeah. That was cool. We spent some time taking some cool photos there, too. I think that was one of my favorite spots for for photo ops. The uh, the mountains uh, reflecting off the water. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. We had some good pictures there. So that was Shady Cove looking down Kings Bay and some beautiful mountains down there. So from there, we went around, uh, around the point at the south end there, right by Kings Bay, went through, right, uh, went by East Finger Inlet, and then past Deepwater Cove, past Derrickson Bay, and then hung a left and made it up Port Nalewan. And we decided at that point, we wanted to go to a place called Crafton Island. So that caused us to cross Port Nalewan diagonally. So we basically did about a five, maybe six mile crossing 
Um, it was only three miles wide, but we did it diagonally, so much longer. And we crossed to a point at the southern end of McClure Bay, and then crossed McClure Bay. And when we got there, up to McClure Bay, that's when the winds started to come and head south. And they hit us pretty hard. So we had a two-plus-hour slog into the wind um, up past McClure Bay, so past that opening, which was about a mile and a half crossing, and maybe more, uh, and then up to a point called Lighthouse Reserve. And got up to Lighthouse Reserve, stopped and saw a tender that was hiding in a little cove, and talked to the tender. Yep, tried to find out a little more about what uh, what he did and you know what he was doing there, and learn a little more about them, and that was kind of cool. Um, it's also cool before we started doing all that crossing is when we think we saw the real first seal that we had. That was um, he was sitting up on a rock and uh, looked at him from a distance, and it just looked like part of the rock. But as we got closer and closer, it just seemed like it wasn't quite the same. There was something about it, and then finally we noticed it moved. Um, it didn't let us get too close to it either before it decided to jump off into the water. It made us question whether or not what we saw before were otters or were they seals. Yeah. So not really sure even at this point. But, kind but, of, it, was, but it was cool to see. Mm-hmm. And we started seeing seals everywhere from yeah, that point. we did. So the tender was interesting because that whole area, Lighthouse Reserve, is a big fishing area. And there were a lot of set nets and, um, yeah, just set nets out that day. And apparently those set nets are pretty regulated. And you have to have a, a license or a permit or whatever to be able to get those nets in different locations. And the tender was basically there representing a seafood company. And when the people with the set nuts and the gill nuts would make their catch for the day, they would bring it back to the tender and they would sell it to the tender. And the tender would take all that in and keep it in, in its hold. Um, and then the fishermen who were out there could continue about their business without having to keep a load of fish on board. And it turns out there's a, quite a few tenders out there all representing different fisheries. Um, so we asked him a few questions, talked to him for a while. And interesting guy, he was on his second season out here from New York, uh, just kind of a, escaped the city and, um, and other situations and decided to come out and hang out with his buddy. And his buddy was the captain, and he wanted to experience what life was like out here. So he did it last year and decided it was fun, and so he kept came out again this year. For a second year, yeah, and seemed to enjoy it. There's a lot more. Uh, this is the first time I thought we've seen. We're starting to see a lot more boats out there, and like and then you said, the fishing nets. So we're really getting an idea that the much much heavier uh, traffic area with fish, um, and this is also where we started to see uh, more uh, salmon uh, jumping. Oh um, yeah, that's right. And, and jumping around in the water, and one, you know, I remember just paddling early on. We had a one just pop up in front of us. That we thought it was going to land in one of our boats. Yeah, that Lighthouse Reserve, that's a point where there's two fisheries, one in the north and one in the south, that um, they release their their fish, and they come up and down, or come, yeah, up the coast and down the coast, and they all kind of converge at that point, and that's where, that's why there's a lot of fishermen there, and all the nets set up. We saw them bringing in the nets yesterday, and man, they were bringing in some big fish. Yeah, and that was just cool to sit there and watch, took a little bit of video yesterday of them being able to to pull them in and finally get an understanding of what it is and what they're actually doing out there and how it all works and how the nets work. And yeah, seeing all the fish come in, those nets was kind of cool. So on day five, uh, continuing that paddle, we made our way around Lighthouse 
Reserve, and then I think it's called Lighthouse Reserve, and then made our way south uh, down the mainland to an area called Crafton Island, and that was recommended to us. It's in Night, Night Island Passage, so we continued down there and passed a few different bays on, on our way down. It was about an 11-mile paddle to get from the lighthouse point down to Crafton Island, and that was a nice spot. It was a nice spot. It was a nice paddle down there. Um, yeah, it was long, but uh, but it was actually the waters were pretty calm, and it was a really nice paddle. We, uh, as we were paddling down, we we stopped um, at a, a boat uh, and decided to talk to the the owner of the boat. I guess the owner of the boat. Uh, the boat was called the Spanker, and uh, just chatted with them a little bit. We were also looking for a water source, and uh, he pointed out one that was just down the down a little bit from him that we were able to go in and pop in and refill our waters. Yes, we weren't sure if there was going to be anything on Crafton Island, which there wasn't. So it's a good thing we did fill that ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we were talking to him. It was nice. And then he ended up, uh, he, and his, he said his wife uh, ended up giving us a little bit of salmon that we could take with us and uh, cook later if we wanted to. So Good stuff. Yeah. So Crafton Island was nice. Uh, we got up early yesterday morning after staying on Crafton. Uh, we were out by 6 a.m. yesterday and made our way back up to the lighthouse reserve point stopped at the tender again and he was nice enough to take our trash and we had a small trash bag and when we were talking to him he mentioned that some of the other things that they do and he says oh we sometimes we take the trash from the from the fishermen and and that and we're like whoa hey there's the thought here's the thought <laughs> we had a trash bag with a little bit of a hole in it so he took our trash gave us a new trash bag to replace that so that was nice and then from there, we made a five-mile crossing up to Colross Island. Yeah, this is one of the spots where I finally took over a little bit of grabbing the map and being able to, to be able to try to kind of navigate a little bit um, where we were and, and uh, understanding the terrain. And uh, it was really kind of cool to do that. And, you know, we're doing a lot of paddling and be able to, to focus a little bit on the, the land and, and try to figure out, identify where we were when we were where we were trying to get to. Um, I enjoyed that. So that was a long day. Yeah. Um, yesterday, day six, was 32 miles for us. It wasn't our hardest day. Um, I think that the, the day down to Crafton Island was probably my hardest so far. Yeah. Um, but... Overall. And this one got tough toward the end, though, because we paddled up Colross Island, uh, which was a really nice paddle. And I really enjoyed yesterday's paddle. Um up until the top part of Colross Island, and there was a spot that we were told it was probably going to be a good camping spot. And we got there, and unfortunately, it was not a good camping spot at all. So we're kind of deflated. Um, at that point, we had gone about 25 miles, yep. and which would have been our longest day. Um, but seeing that that was not the right spot, and we started poking in and out of every bay that we came across just to see if we could find the right thing. And we decided that none of those were, were the right thing for us. So we made it all the way across Colross, well, across Colross Passage and then across Cochrane Bay and made it to an area called Surprise Cove, which is actually where we stayed on our first night. And we're in that same spot today. Um, we got here yesterday and woke up this morning. To rain. To rain. To rain. And uh, the bay itself and here where we're at was kind of calm, no issues, but the rain. But then you knew that um, out in the uh, more of the, what, 
Passage Canal. Passage Canal, yeah, was definitely higher, higher winds and more wave. We could see that. We could off in the distance see some uh, white caps and things. So yeah, we decided could... to just hang out. That you know, we listened to some weather reports and you know what the next few days are going to be like, and decided that this is probably the uh, the place to hang out for an extra day. And you know, after a long couple of days of paddling, it was felt good to to just hang out here for the day. Hey, we forgot we saw a sea lion yesterday. Yeah, I was going to say, or I was going to mention that, you know, when we came around that one corner um, by the lighthouse, right, and uh, paddled around, and there was a, uh, well, we, you know, I saw some birds, like, kind of poking at something, and I wasn't sure what was going on. I thought maybe it was just something injured, maybe an injured animal, and uh, ended up turning out to be what we think, yeah, definitely was a, a sea lion, and, uh, <laughs> we were paddling up to it and it was cool and then there was two more there was a total of three and we're just hanging out and watching them and all of a sudden he popped up and looked at us and then we're like okay he was then, like five feet from the boat too well i was gonna say and then we paddled more and then he popped up again and he was like five feet and i nearly uh it was <laughs> i'm like okay that's a lot closer than, than i like seeing these wild animals from a little more distance than that yeah he snorted so at you he snorted, he snorted he's like what the heck you haven't showered in days <laughs> <laughs> stink what are you and uh, so we had the yeah we decided that you know what time to kick in the high gear and, and paddle out of that situation get a little further away so um but that i that was a cool experience and and uh i'm glad we got to see that so so it's not been bad here staying staying in camp all day when well, a marine forecast had 20 knot winds uh sustained 20 knot winds so we decided just to stay here and stick out of the wind um, we're actually a little bit ahead of schedule we're going to be on the water or out on the trip for 10 days and we're in easy days paddle back right now if we went straight back to Whittier but we're not planning on going straight back to Whittier yeah we want to head down to uh black blackstone blackstone yeah and and down that passage there and go check out the the glaciers down there is what we're hoping to do yeah um, we should be able to do that um, I will also say that it was cool when we came in here yesterday that there was a the guys there was a there was oh, yeah. a husband and wife in a boat um, and they were just hanging out there and we're like oh that kind of ruins our view but all right they were here first and we're not going to worry about it you know it's just big power it boat. is what it is yeah big power boat it is what it is and paddled in and started loading all our stuff and maybe I don't know maybe half hour forty five minutes later they're they they yelled out to us and waved and said hi and said hey we're gonna let you uh, enjoy the wilderness we're gonna we're gonna move on and we thought oh, I thought that was awesome and uh, and the next thing I know they they said hey there's you know fish here in the bay if you're looking to you know catch some fish and we're like no nah, we really don't have the equipment for it and, and he goes well do you want some a salmon we're like well we really don't have a way to clean it either right now and he goes well it's already clean and ready to go. We're like, well, then, yes, we want it. So we got about a three-pound yeah. salmon um, that we ended up cooking up for dinner last night, and it was phenomenal. It was so good. Would would have enjoyed it with a little seasoning and stuff, but just the way it was, was really good. You did a nice job cooking that. Yeah, it turned out well. So Blackstone Bay is our next destination. We'll head out of here tomorrow and make our way down there, and our intent is to camp down there for a couple nights. Let's see. That's, that'll be day eight and nine. Mm-hmm. No, so we'll probably camp down there one day. I was going to say down there probably one day and, yeah. then, and then try to get up to, to decision point. Yeah. Right? And then we'll be an easy easy little 10-mile pad paddle back into Whittier from there. But Blackstone Bay is a pretty tourism-heavy area. It's the first glacier out of 
um, Whittier. And when we came here, we could see groups of jet skis leaving Whittier and, and probably heading down to Blackstone Bay and um, kayak shuttles. Uh, we've listened to a couple of them on the Marine radio today, um, talking back and forth. So the, the, the tourism traffic heads down to Blackstone Bay. So we'll definitely see more people and more boats tomorrow. But it's been shocking how few kayaks we've seen out here. Well, and considering after day two, did we see any kayaks? I don't remember. Well, yes, we did. We saw the one, right? Um, when we were down at uh, what, uh, Shady Cove, yeah, there was a guy and his and his nephew. It was a it was a guide actually, and they had a ta- they had a tandem, and the two of them were paddling. So that was really the only. Have we seen anybody there. other than day one? And yeah, that's that what one? I'm saying. I don't remember seeing any other kayaks. You know, we that day one was once we saw it. Then we got out here. Um, the couples, there were what two couples that were here with us at this location, mm-hmm. and then when we left here. We haven't. The only other kayak we saw was was that guide and his and his nephew yeah. on the tandem. Otherwise, that was it. And we came in the Shady Cove there, and they're like, you know, they were done. We we're like, they're leaving, and we're like, perfect timing. So. Um, which reminds me of the cool thing that we had happened when we were down there. Um, we actually got to, got to walk on snow. Um, yeah. We got out of the boats. We saw a waterfall and snow, and we walked up and walked on the snow for a while. And just uh, before we ended up um, settling down for the night, for the day. And again, we, we, we were done paddling by, what was that, 10, 11? Which on the shady day? Yeah, shady day. Shady, yeah. Oh, yeah, 11 o'clock. Yeah, we were done really early, and we already had gotten in 10 miles at that point. So, again, getting up early and paddling away and, you know, allows us to do, do a lot more paddling during the day. So that was cool. So anything you would have done different so far? No. I mean, this, this trip is better than I expected. Um, it has exceeded my expectations. How so? Uh, well, again, my for me, I was a lot more worried about, you know, having to spend my days paddling against waves and winds that would just, you know, just get you tired and worn out. But uh, the waters have been very calm and the winds have been calm. And even the days that have been windy, I'm like, I felt so blessed by the conditions. I mean, even with that, it was like, that's not a big deal. So that really exceeded my expectations uh, about how easier difficult this would be to paddle this area yeah i can't even even gear wise i I think we did everything well there food wise i'm really did very well there um yeah i can't think of anything that necessarily that i would uh, change at all how about you is there anything that you would uh have done differently no i think it's going pretty well so far we did a hike today, and I probably would have oh. wearing a different pair of pants. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, and we would have brought the we brought about the phones. I mean, there's little things like that. You know, we didn't bring the phones to take some good pictures or the should I say cameras because we haven't used these. Um, that was another interesting point when we were talking to the tender. There was another lady there that was on the boat with them, and she was up on the deck just uh, on her phone. And I'm like, "You getting internet out here?" And she goes, "Yep." I'm like, wow. They said, yeah, AT&T was, was pretty good around here. Verizon's not so good. And I said, well, I'm not turning mine on. I don't want to turn that on yet. So, But was, they did have internet. So, I tried to turn it on here because we're, we're pretty close to Whittier last night and didn't get anything. Yeah. Well, that was because we wanted to get a, an idea of where we could go 
possibly the best campsites yeah. down Blackstone. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and it was great to be able to go out and hike. Um, and this this camp spot just is is so nice because of the platforms and um, the views. And that yeah, that hike was a nice addition to the day to break it up a little bit. Yeah, we didn't know there were trails here, and we were uh, over on the other side of the camp area, and we just happened to see a trail head off into the woods, and we thought, gee, what is this? And uh, we started on it, and it was it looked like just a social trail that somebody had just created, and then it turned into more wooden platforms, and then that turned into a mile and a quarter worth, worth of trails. Yeah, well, and then total over two and a half miles of hiking we did on that, so... Yeah, because it was it was a mile out to that one, so yeah, a nice a nice addition to be able to go do that and uh, be able to hike somewhere. So this again, this is a great site out here. If I lived here locally, it would be a place that I'd like to come out to every now and then and just plop and just uh, hang out for a, a couple of days. The views are spectacular. The water's great. Well, on to day eight. Oh, Randy was so happy that that couple threw us a salmon. He was giggling the whole time he was cooking that giant filet, and yes, it was good. And speaking of food, that's always a big consideration for any trip. So here are a few of my thoughts on meal planning. For food planning for this trip, um, we started with a basically a meal spreadsheet uh, where we took a look at all the things that we enjoyed eating on previous trips and uh, put those together into the spreadsheet and then just divided it up and determined how many uh, breakfasts, how many lunches, how many dinners we needed um, to have for each of us. And then from there we set about figuring out what all the ingredients were and we tried to find meals that we could combine ingredients. So instead of having, you know, one ingredient that would be just for one specific meal and only that meal alone, we wanted to try and take ingredients that would serve several different meals. So tortillas, for example, and if we take tortillas, we can use them for four or five different uh, meals in different ways, including Nutella spread on a tortilla, which is a fantastic dessert. We did a combination of things for food. We dehydrated a lot of our own food. Um, So things that we liked from home, we just dehydrated that, and that worked out real well for us. Um, We did buy a few of the prepackaged dehydrated meals as well. But in terms of the stuff that we dehydrated at home, what we would do is at the beginning of the day, we would take whatever needed to be rehydrated, excuse me, and we would put that into a Nalgene bottle and add a little bit of water and then just throw that in the hatch of the boat and let that rehydrate throughout the day. And then when we got to camp, our food was rehydrated. We would just have to reheat it and we'd be ready to go. Um, So it worked very, very well for us from that standpoint. Those store-bought dehydrated meals were just used for those really long days on the water when we just didn't feel like cooking. Otherwise, we wanted to cook and experience things. As a Great Lakes paddler, tides are not something that we deal with, so understanding the effect of tides was one thing that I wanted to learn more about and manage. So The wind's starting to pick up for this one, so we'll have a little bit of background noise here. One of the other things that I really wanted to take away from this trip was an experience with um, understanding tides and how that was going to affect us. And the tidal variation when we got here, it was a spring tide, uh, so we had a full moon when we got here, and uh, the tidal variation was about 14 feet uh, at that point. And uh, it's, you know, we're here 10 days, so it's come down quite a bit, so it's about a 10 foot variation now. Um, but we really wanted to get an experience of how that was going to affect us during the day in terms of tidal flow in and out of bays, and then um, how it would affect us in terms of finding campsites. And it, it hasn't been that much of a challenge. Um, 
the tidal stream is not very fast here, so we've been actually been able to paddle against that tidal stream. It's just a matter of making sure that we understand you know, where high water is going to be, when high water, and, and low water as well. So we know uh, when we should camp, and if we're going to camp at a particular location, and we camp there at high tide, we just wanted to make sure that we weren't going to have a ridiculously long carry at the end of the day uh, when it was low tide. So we had to watch those kinds of things. And there were also a couple of points, particularly Derrickson Bay, where we went and go, went to see Nullywan Glacier, and uh, there is a sand spit that kind of guards the, the lagoon, so it, it separates the Derrickson Bay from Derrickson Lagoon, and then it takes you up to the glacier. Well, that sand spit just has one small opening, and it's it's susceptible to tidal flow. So, as the tide is rising, uh, the tide's flooding into that that lagoon. So you're basically going to have to ride that tide in. Um, you're not going to be able to paddle against that current. It was a good five or six knot current uh, that was flowing in. So we had the time that to ride the tide in. And then we stayed in the lagoon for a while and uh, really enjoyed the, the glacier and the seals that were around the glacier. And then rode the tide back out um, a few hours later. So... Again, understanding tides was one thing that I wanted to start to get a handle on. As a, personally, I have very little tidal experience, and I know many of you who are listening um, have that tidal experience, and that may be something that's foreign to you, but me, I'm a Great Lakes paddler, so it's not something that I experience all that often, and it was something that I definitely wanted to get more um, understanding of. So for that, from that standpoint, it's been beneficial, and it's given me an introduction to tidal paddling. We brought our own items for a personal and camping kit, but there are some things that we just couldn't travel with, or frankly, we didn't want to have to haul, so we made sure to arrange that stuff once we were in Alaska. So in this segment, I'm going to share a few things that we employed from a kit standpoint that were very helpful for us. As for kit, there are a couple of recommendations that I have. First, plan for rain. Um, it's going to rain while you're here in Prince William Sound. Of the 10 days, or actually nine so far that we've been here, um, it has rained at least five of the days. And... Don't get me wrong, it's not been a total washout. Um, it's just, you know, it either rains overnight or it rains at some point during the day. It's a temperate rainforest and that's going to happen. So we have had a number of days today included where we haven't had any rain, but definitely plan for rain. So plan for everything to be wet. Dry bag everything. In fact, double dry bag some things because, you know, your sleeping bag, once it gets wet, it's never going to come back. Dry wear. So we're wearing uh, dry wear from both level six and Kokatap. And then we've also brought you know, rain gear as well, just to be wearing around camp, so that's been helpful. And then uh, other gear. Uh, Ryan from Paddler's Realm really hooked us up with uh, the right stuff as well. So we've got Snapdragon skirts and Werner paddles. Um, he hooked me up with a nice P&H Scorpio. And uh, Randy's enjoying a Valley Aquanaut. Prince William Sound does have a lot of bears, although strangely enough, we have not seen any. Um, don't really want to see them in our in our camp, but would love to be able to be paddling along and see one on a ridge or uh, walking along a beach, but it hasn't happened for us yet, but they are definitely out here. So uh, plan for bears. Uh, plan either to use uh, bear boxes or, as, in fact, there's bear boxes in a couple of uh, campsites, but only a couple campsites. And then uh, plan to either use bear barrels or a bear hang um, to secure your food. For other clothing, uh, temperatures range quite a bit. So it's we're here in June, uh, June in the first couple of days of July, and so we've got 19 and a half hours to 20 hours of sunlight uh, during the day, and then the four hours that it's not 
sunlight. It's just dusk. Uh, it never really gets dark here, uh, at least during this time of the year. But it does still get cold. So temperatures are in the low 40s at night. And most days have been 50s to up to about 70. Uh, today's probably close to 70. Uh, but it is still a little bit breezy. So be prepared for um, all sorts of weather. We've really taken advantage of the sunny days uh, to make stops along the way when the sun's out or um, when we get back to camp towards the end of the day and we've got still have six, seven hours of sunlight left um, to lay out all of our wet gear on the rocks. Um, there are no sand beaches. They're all either small, you know, gravelly, pebble beaches, uh, some cobblestone beaches, but nothing sand. And so we basically laid everything out and let the sun warm it and dry out our gear and that's worked out well. Freshwater is quite plentiful. I don't know if you'll be able to hear it, but right behind us is a freshwater stream that's running down from the mountains. And so there's, you'll be able to find freshwater just about anywhere uh, throughout the sound. So we are using a gravity filter, and I would highly recommend a gravity filter as opposed to one of the pump filters. Uh, we've got four liter bags with the gravity filter, and we just uh, find a water source, fill one of the, the dirty water bag, and then we get to camp. Uh, rig that up and then five minutes later we've got four liters of, uh, of fresh water so definitely consider and recommend a gravity filter we carry a few stoves um, we carry a jet boil just for boiling up water and then we also carry an msr whisper light you will not be able to travel with um, a flare kit or fuel for your stove or a bear spray and those are all things that i would recommend so we were able to stop at a fred meyer uh, grocery store you know, store in uh, in anchorage alaska and pick all those items up one question i often ask for many episodes is what was your favorite piece of kit under 100 dollars? and for me this was the one for this trip quite possibly one of the most unique and most useful pieces of kit that I've brought with me is a compact monocular. My daughter Rachel bought it for me and I really hadn't had the opportunity to use it up until this particular trip, but I can say I've used it every day. Um, it's not uncommon for us to be paddling a bay that might be four miles across and uh, we might be looking for a campsite or looking for something on one side versus the other and to be able to pull out that monocular and be able to see what's going on on the other side and uh and spot potential campsites has been really really helpful so and also makes me feel like a pirate it's kind of cool so thanks rachel as we begin to wrap this trip up i kept thinking about how each day brought something different so here are my reflections on a few recommended spots to visit when you take your trip to alaska's prince william sound each day of the trip we've said boy how is the next day going to top this day and in each one really has topped it but in different ways so yesterday, for example, we were in Blackstone Bay, uh, looking at Blackstone Glacier and Lawrence Glacier, and, and there's a couple of other glaciers in the area, and just enormous waterfalls, and, and that was, it was spectacular uh, to be able to see that. So some specific recommendations that I would have. Um, Kings Bay is really beautiful. We spent a, a whole day just relaxing in Kings Bay and, and basically seeing the sights. Port Nelliwan, paddling up or down Port Nelliwan, it's just an amazing view the entire time, as long as you've got a cloud-free day or a lightly clouded day. And Blackstone Glacier. Blackstone Bay is one of the areas that is considered to be more touristy because it's pretty close to Whittier. It's easily accessible from Whittier. Um, there's actually a, a few tour boats that go in here, and every once in a while there's uh, jet ski tours that come in from, from Whittier. 
but they don't seem to bother you that much. They're not that prevalent. Um, but that said, you know, we kind of expected this is our last couple of days here. And we thought, well, you know, we'll go here because we want to be able to see what it's like. But we weren't expecting remote experience. And quite honestly, it's been really quite remote. We've only seen a few paddlers in Blackstone Bay. And the glaciers down here are incredible. So this is definitely one of the areas that I would highly recommend making a stop at. If you like glaciers, uh, Derrickson Bay and Derrickson Lagoon and Nelliwan Glacier, that's kind of all one, was really spectacular as well. Um, it was a narrow channel heading up toward the, uh, to the glacier, so it was basically the runoff from the glacier. And uh, tons of icebergs in there and seals uh, you know, uh, paddling around. And that was a really neat experience as well. And that's another one where we were the only people there paddling up toward that glacier. Again, staying a, a safe distance away from it, but really a neat experience. Another one that I would highly recommend. With exception of the campsite that we stayed at in Deepwater Bay, um, there's nothing that I wouldn't recommend of the trip. It's all been spectacular. As I said before, each day has outdone the other days just in different ways, uh, whether it's spectacular scenery or just beautiful weather or you know, just really enjoyable paddling. Um, they've all been different in their own way. On day nine, as we were starting to wind down for the evening, I took a short hike up into the hills high behind our clifftop camp and uh, just took in the surroundings. And this is what I thought about. Alaska is such a place of unimaginable beauty. Uh, words and pictures will never do it justice. We'll never be able to describe it. And it's one of those things that you've just got to be able to see and experience for yourself. The scale is like nothing you've ever seen before. There's three and four or 5,000 foot peaks rising uh, all around you, everywhere. Snow-capped peaks all over the place. And you might not think that a peak that size is that big, because in the grand scheme of things, it's not. But the massive size of the base and the fact that they're rising from sea level to that height all around you everywhere is just incredible. Massive tidewater glaciers, a thousand feet tall, spilling into the ocean uh, around you. It's just something you have to experience for yourself to really understand. And I'm really, really fortunate to have had the opportunity to experience this. So on the morning of day 10, we put our little boats in the water for the final time and recorded one last segment, this time while sitting in the boats on Blackstone Bay. We just put our spray skirts on at our final camp on day 10, heading out, making our way back to Whittier. So Randy, what do you think? Uh, bittersweet. I mean, this place has been amazing. It's been an amazing 10 days. Um, yeah, looking forward to getting back, but not really. Um, been able to stay off the, the internet and Wi-Fi and connections for 10 awesome, amazing days. This is, uh, this is just so beautiful out here. Um, this last good day of rest was awesome. Simple paddle back in with a peaceful uh, lake and ocean right now, right? Yeah. So it's very glass-like right now, so very, very cool. So what do you want people to know about the trip? That it's doable. That it's something anybody can do. Um, just plan ahead. Make sure you understand... Uh, a little bit about the tides, about the weather, you know, what to expect out here. But um, this this trip far exceeded my expectations, and it's just been uh, just fantastic. Excellent. Were there any bugs? Uh, you know, right now, <laughs> crap load. <laughs> this is the most we've had. But, you know, surprisingly, it hasn't been as bad as the kind of parts of me anticipated. So, uh, no, it's, it's yeah, this is the worst we've had it right now, and we'll be paddling a little bit, and they'll be gone. We're sitting here in a swarm of 
mosquitoes. Just an absolute swarm, swarm of them. This is more like the boundary waters. <laughs> yeah, but still, you're not hearing them hum like you do in the boundary waters. So, yeah, this is very cool. All right. Next stop, Whittier. We'll talk then. So we made our way off the water after 10 glorious days of paddling. And uh, Ryan picked us up, brought us back to the shop. And as we were gearing out, I took a, took a couple minutes to sit down and have a chat with Ryan. So we just finished our trip here, uh, 10 days on the Prince William Sound. I'm here with Ryan Collins of Paddler's Realm and just wanted to have Ryan tell a little bit about Paddler's Realm and about the Prince William Sound area. Uh, okay, thanks, John. Uh, so Paddler's Realm has been around since 2006. Uh, we do guided day trips, uh, multi-day trips, expeditions. We do some rentals for the right people. We just love paddling, and it's a uh, it is a bit of a short season for us from about May until September, and um, just try to get as many people on the water as we can safely as possible. Cool. So you're here in Whittier. How long you been here? I've been here since 2001. I moved up to um, actually got a job with uh, another company down the road, um, who we're still great friends. But um, I broke free so that I could do more instruction and do. A little bit more uh, expeditions and, and just have a little more freedom to do kind of different trips. Cool. So what time? Of, what types of programs do you uh, generally lead around here? Uh, so May until June is guide training. We do uh, we train a lot of the guides in Seward and in Whittier. Here we have a company from Wyoming that comes in and does training with us. There's a company out in the valley that does some training. So five day guide programs. Hopefully it'll be six, maybe even more than that next year. But um, we're, we've got it at least five, and then. Uh, and then right after that, it starts being uh, day trips and, um, you know, just a mix of day trips and multi-day trips and expeditions after that. And then it's with some with some other um, kind of pro, um, guide training, or I'm sorry, with some other instructional sessions peppered throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. So your day trips, where do they generally go? They go, we do a long day trip over to Blackstone Bay, which um, starts about, you know, we come through the 830 tunnel and we're pretty much driving off a boat at 930. And then um, we do about six or seven hours of paddling, get picked up at the end of the day and brought back to Whittier. So that's our full day trip to the glaciers. And then we do lots of day trips right out here in uh, Passage Canal. It's a beautiful bay, hanging glaciers, all kinds of stuff to see here, waterfalls everywhere, lots of birds. And you never know, of course, with the wildlife. <laughs> so what got you started as a paddler? Well, I guess just uh, an adventurous spirit, I would say, just because uh, I came up on a ski trip. I taught my friend how to ski better and in Montana. He knew a guy who lived in Girdwood, and we came up for a 10-day ski trip. And at the end, I had just graduated from college, and at the end, um, I asked this guy that we were staying with if he knew of any jobs, and he said he was hiring a whole new crew of sea kayak guides and i'd never kayaked in my life and that sounded like an absolutely incredible opportunity so i jumped on it i had about three weeks to sort it out and moved up here and with a two duffel bags and my puppy and uh, my friend brought my bike up later and i've been here ever since very cool so what do you want people to know about the prince william sound area uh, prince william sound um it is a beautiful Really majestic place. Um, I guess the main thing 
I am most concerned about is everybody just leaving it um, better than they found it. Um, you know, the beauty speaks for itself. It's a stunning place. It does get quite a bit of use. Um, I would say more use every year. But as you saw on your trip, you know, like I was worried about the number of people that you were going to see and you didn't hardly see anybody. So that was great until we got a little bit closer in. But um, yeah, you know, it's just uh, it's it is beautiful. We do a lot of beach cleanups. There's a lot of volunteer programs. A lot of people really try to take ownership of the sound and and stewardship. But um, not everybody's of that same mindset. So, you know, just really go out of your way to keep it pristine and, and keep it as um, kind of wild and and pretty as we can. Very cool. So how can people reach you if they needed to uh, or if they wanted to get more information about Paddler's Realm and maybe come paddling in Whittler, Whittier? Um, so the website's easy. Um, paddlersrealm.com. Um, that's got a lot of information. I'm always, well, not always updating it. Once the season's over, then I can start working on it again. But um, it kind of is on the back burner for most of the season. We're a really small company, so um, I do pretty much everything, dishes, emails, uh, website, that kind of stuff. And um, But also just um, send me an email. I love talking to folks. Um, paddlersrealm at yahoo.com. Same with the phone number, 907-350-2259. Any of those are great. But if you want just some information ahead of time, go ahead and check the website out. It's great. Cool. Well, Ryan's been a big help for us, uh, not only getting us boats, but also local information and telling us about Prince William Sound and giving us ideas on places to go and uh, places to camp and all that. So we really appreciate it. And thank you for, uh, for all your help, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for coming out, John. So I guess we passed the test and we were considered the right people. So thanks for the great kit and for your hospitality, Ryan. He really runs a solid business and he's a great guy. So if you're looking to spend some time in the sound, check with Ryan at Paddler's Realm about guiding services or rentals. I appreciate you joining Randy and I as we shared our Alaskan experience. It was an incredible trip, as I'd mentioned. Alaska's just a place of unimaginable beauty. Keep Ryan's words in mind. If you go there, or anywhere for that matter, respect the land and always strive to leave it better than you found it. As always, thanks for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions, along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler, and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. I hope you enjoyed our trip through Alaska's Prince William Sound. It was a great experience in an amazing environment, and it's truly been a pleasure to share it with you. My intent with this episode is to show the everyday paddler that trips like this are within reach. While many of us dream of a big expedition, for some of us, that's just not in the cards. There's adventure everywhere and a trip to fit everyone's size, and this was ours for now. If you haven't visited already, please take the time to go to the show notes for this episode at www.paddlingtheblue.com and check out our trip resources. If you've got questions, please reach out to me. I'm always happy to talk about the trip. For our next episode, we're going to stay in Alaska and talk with Kylene Austin about the restorative power of paddling and how a kayak trip saved her life. 
Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.